Hello and welcome back to California Dreaming. Just a quick note about this episode before we get started. This is a story narrated by me in the first person perspective from one of the individuals involved in this case. This story is very loosely based on actual events. All of the names have been changed and include many fictionalized details that I've written and developed for the purposes of this episode. Please consider this to be more of a drama cast inspired by true events. And if you don't enjoy dramatizations, then this may not be the episode for you. I just wanted to try and venture off into something different this week. Bear in mind that this is not an event that happened to me. I'm just narrating it as if it did. I hope you enjoy. There is really no better place in the world that I can think of to grow up than in the beautiful, small-town beachside community where I lived. When they say slice of heaven, this is exactly what they meant. And while my family wasn't the wealthiest in town, we made do. They like to call it blue-collar, and I'm not even sure I really know what that means. If it means that we lived comfortably, then yes, we were comfortable. We never went without or anything like that, we were very close, a tight-knit family, and my family means the world to me, and they could not have been more proud than the day that I graduated from high school, top of the class, I might add. I could have done without all the pomp and circumstance, those cheesy, cliche, this is the first day of the rest of your life, don't be afraid of failure, reach for the stars, valedictorian speeches. Hey, but if I had my way, I'd just pile into my car with my two best friends and we wouldn't even do grad night. I mean, we just escaped high school. Why in the world would we want to hang out with those people any longer than we had to? But my parents worked so long and hard to raise me to get me to this point. They were there for me every step of the way. They were at every single one of my games. I was the captain of the varsity softball team. It wasn't a big deal, but it did help beef up my college applications. My mom and dad would have never forgiven me if they didn't get to hear my name called and see their little girl walk across that stage. There was no way I could get away with skipping it. I was proud of myself too, and well... Reaching this milestone was a pretty amazing feeling, and I intended to make it the best night of my life. And it was. Until it wasn't. I'll come back to that in a minute. But first, I have to tell you about my best friend, Emma. She and I met on the first day of kindergarten, and we were pretty much inseparable ever since. Ask anybody who knew us. It was always Juliet and Emma. Emma and Juliet. If you were looking for one of us, it was guaranteed that you would find both of us. Finally, our classmates just gave us a mashup name and started calling us Emmalette. Because you might as well have been speaking to both of us, since we basically finished each other's sentences anyway. Or is it sandwiches? I forget. It's that song, that stupid song from that stupid movie Frozen. Frozen ruined everything, am I right? 
Ruined music, snow, snowmen. I mean, come on. That lame little talking snowman with his stupid little jokes is the unfunniest snowman ever. And don't even get me started on the Snow Queen. What a self-absorbed bitch. Clearly, that woman doesn't give a crap about her sister or her kingdom. And come on, the marketing of this movie? I could go on forever, but... Roseanne has enough self-awareness to realize when she's about to force her sidetracky tangents onto others and hijack their stories, so she's going to stop. Emma's family was a lot different than mine. They were actually super well-known in the community. They were pretty powerful and well-connected politically, which really didn't mean anything to me or to her, really. When you're with your best friend, hanging out at the mall or gossiping about everybody at school... You really don't care what it means for her last name to be on all those election signs all over town every few years. I mean, she could have hung out with all the other country cub kids whose parents were friends with her parents, but she chose me. Emma wasn't like that. She didn't want to get all dressed up to go and hang out with a bunch of other snobs at a place where you needed a membership to get in. Luckily for me, her mom and dad didn't make her go. And they understood our friendship. They knew how close we were and how much we loved each other. And ultimately, Emma's happiness was more important to them than trying to make her be something that she clearly wasn't and wanted nothing to do with. When you're young, there are few things worse than parents trying to force their children to be what they want them to be so that they could try and fit into some ridiculous, elite, political and social circuit. Deep down, I know Emma felt super insecure around those rich kids. And when she was with me, all she needed to be was Emma. She was my favorite person in the world, and I always made sure she knew it. When we got to high school, our little twosome turned into a threesome when we met William. Emma and I instantly liked him when we met him in homeroom. You'd think that it would not have been easy for someone to join in on our friendship, but for William, it was. It kind of sounds like this would have been a situation that could have turned ugly at any minute, and I kind of get that, that this is a thing that wasn't going to end well. Three's a crowd. Somebody has to be the third wheel, especially when that third person in the equation is a guy, and he just so happens to be really cute. Well... Em and I kind of figured out early on that William probably liked boys, which we were totally cool with. I mean, okay, we sort of knew right away. It was only a matter of him deciding to open up about it, but we didn't push the issue, and we actually really didn't care because we loved hanging out with him. He was so sweet and funny. He was literally the best. And you know how high school kids can be assholes sometimes? Well, like a lot of the times. And we didn't know his parents very well, but Emma and I were pretty sure that even when the time came when William was ready to come out, his family would have had a hard time with it. He knew Emma and I would stand by him no matter what. At least I think he knew. Well, I hope he did because we'd never get the chance to find out. Like I said a minute ago, if it were up to us, Emma, William, and I would have ditched graduation to go off and celebrate in our own way, on our own terms. That's just how we were. 
Oh, and we were going to. It was just we're going to have to wait until after commencement. No, there wasn't going to be any drinking or drugs, nothing like that. We didn't need any of that to have fun. We had plans. We were going to go to dinner. We were going to celebrate us. And then the plan was to end up at the pier to watch the sunrise. But we never made it to the pier. The evening was going along so perfectly. In fact, we intended to make this entire summer perfect because we knew that come that fall, we were going to go our separate ways, different schools, different states, but we made a promise to each other that any chance that we had, we would come home right here and be together, no matter where life would take us. Home would always be home and we would always be us. And dinner was so good. But I'm pretty sure that the restaurant staff couldn't wait to get rid of us, but we didn't care. We were having too much fun. They finally had to kick us out because, well, we didn't realize that the place had closed. So we got into my car and headed to the beach. I was getting a little bit tired, so I was hoping to maybe have a quick power nap before the sun came up. I don't exactly know what happened because I can't remember. All I know is we never made it to our destination. The next thing that I remember was waking up in a bed. I knew immediately it wasn't my own. I couldn't see anything. I was in a tremendous amount of pain and I was terrified. I immediately started asking for Emma and William. I wanted to sit up I wanted to try and refocus my vision, but God, my head was pounding and it felt like my face was on fire and I couldn't lift my body into a sitting position. But before I had the chance to even try to move, I realized that my hand was being held. And the first voice that I heard was my mom's telling me to try and lay still, that I was okay. She was there. Just be still. While I was comforted by the sound of my mother's voice, I still needed to know where Emma and William were at. I was just with them, so how am I here in bed in pain with my mom? I could tell by the shakiness in her voice that something was terribly wrong, and I asked, please, tell me, where's Emma? Where's William? Please, Mom. She quietly told me that I was going to be okay, and all I needed to do was try and stay calm and stay as still as I possibly could. But she was there, my dad was there too, and she would explain everything to me. And I promised, okay, I'm calm, I'm still. I took a deep breath, which brought about a round of sharp pains that surged through my body and into my chest. God, what the hell happened to me? Emma was okay, my mom said. She was with her family, and it wouldn't be too long before I would be able to get to see her and talk to her, but for right now, I needed to be with my family, and she needed to be with hers. Okay, that put my mind at ease. I was in a hospital. I had suffered some very serious types of injuries, but we would work through it all. It was going to be a process. It was going to take time, but I was going to be okay. Emma wasn't in the hospital. She was at home. I wanted to see her, and my mom said she would see what she could do. 
My eyes were starting to get their focus back a little. I saw my mom and I could see that she had been crying a lot. And she was definitely trying to hold it together since I woke up. But I could see in her eyes and on her face that she was distraught. I asked her if I could see William. Could he come and see me? When she called Emma, could she call him too? My mom fell silent and her eyes cast down. Mom, what is it? But she still wouldn't answer me. And I said, okay, well, if he's in the hospital, I mean, I'm hurting right now, but I can go see him. If you don't want me to walk, just wheel me down there, please. And my mom's silence was so frustrating and deafening. Okay, let me find out then what room he's in. I have a nurse, right? Can I ring for my nurse and she can tell me where he's at and at least let me call him? You can't call him, honey, my mom told me. I started to get that pit that you get in your stomach, that sickening feeling. I could feel that I was in really bad shape, so maybe maybe he's in slightly worse condition than I am. I probably wouldn't want to talk to anyone either, but still... We made a promise just that very night, no matter what, we'd be there for one another. I had to let him know that I was here, that I'm okay, and I would take care of him as soon as I got out of this damn bed. I was becoming so desperate to let him know. I had to let him know. He had to know that I was here for him. I begged my mom to just let me try and call him, or maybe she could go and tell him for me. Jules, my mom said. She liked to call me Jules. I looked at her again, and she really didn't have to say anymore. I could tell by the look on her face that he was gone. My William was gone. Later on, I found out that we were in this terrible car accident. A drunk driver had smashed into my car directly into my driver's side door. My vehicle rolled over. Emma was next to me in the passenger seat and William was in the back. She managed to walk away. She was scared and stunned, but physically she was okay. But William, you know, like, he always had this false sense of security about being in the back seat and... I didn't ever really press the issue of my friends in the back when it came to putting on their seatbelts, but I should have. I guess I just shared that false sense of security. So when my car rolled, yeah, he didn't stay inside. And I hate myself for not insisting that he put on his seatbelt. I hate myself to this day, and I will for the rest of my life. One saving grace, I guess, is that I have no memory of the crash. If I did, if I actually saw my best friend being thrown from my car, I don't think I would have been able to go on. The other saving grace, at least it should have been one, is that the crash wasn't found to be my fault. It didn't help coping with losing William any easier. 
because I failed him as a friend and I'll never get over that. I lost a little faith in God that night because he should have taken me. Perhaps surviving this, maybe this was a worse punishment. That's the only thing about me still being here that makes sense. I had no idea when I woke up in the hospital just how long the road to recovery was going to be. The impact of the crash pretty much destroyed the entire left side of my body. My arm was broken, my pelvis, my femur, two vertebrae in my back were fractured. And while I'm grateful the accident didn't leave me paralyzed, the most difficult injuries that I had to cope with, to me, were the ones to my face. Every part of my broken car seemed to smash right into me and left my face mangled. But I was going to have to spend many, many months in rehab working on the injuries to my body before I was going to be able to worry about the scars on my face. Yes, they would heal. Some of them could be fixed to an extent. But the person looking back at me in the mirror was never going to be the same. Not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. It was a long, painful process, and really, I was never going to be the same person I was before graduation night. The pain pills would make sure of that. I guess that sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? Blaming pills for my life being forever changed. It's not the pills' fault. This is all me. This is all my fault. I can't even blame the drunk driver because he's dead too. He was loved and cared for. His family, they're never going to have him again. He's gone forever and they're left on this earth to suffer. And they never deserved any of this either. Every night since I woke up from that accident, I prayed and prayed that the next time I closed my eyes that I just wanted it to be forever. I guess that's the easy way out. The worst punishment is having to live through this pain and the suffering. The pain pills put a band-aid on all of the hurt. Sometimes. Other times they don't. I often thought that I wanted to take all of them and make everything go away for good. And then I would think that all that would do is take this burden that I'm carrying and dump it all onto my parents if I'm sentenced to suffer through life like this, if this is my punishment, then it needs to be on my shoulders and my shoulders alone. My family doesn't deserve that, just like William's family doesn't, and neither does the family of the man who crashed into us. One of the very, very few bright spots in all of this was Emma, and I'm grateful every single day that she made it out of that accident alive and without any injuries. And I would not have made it through my own recovery without her. I was bedridden for months after the accident, and she was at my bedside pretty much every single day. In the darkest, most hopeless moments, she somehow managed to hang on to me. She refused to let me go, no matter how hard I tried. And coming out the other end of this, our friendship was stronger than ever. William is still never far from my thoughts and I like to think he's my angel in heaven. But Emma, she is definitely my angel down here. 
The car accident derailed my plans to go to college out of state. But that worked out okay because Emma decided to stay in town and attend school locally as well. Over the months that it took me to recover and get through rehab, the bond between us had almost morphed into a thing that we could no longer imagine living without or far apart from one another. The accident, William's death, it deeply affected her, just as it had for me, if not more so because she remembered every terrifying detail of that night. And even though I asked countless times, she insisted on keeping the worst of it from me. I wanted to know, I wanted the details, but she didn't want to pile any more on me if it wasn't necessary. But what that also meant was, it was a dreadful burden that she had to carry alone. I didn't want that for her, but she's so stubborn that I finally just gave up. So, there we were, two best and broken friends who had each had their own demons, who in a way needed one another to make it through each day to the next. The months ticked by, and then the years. Emma and I remained close. This friendship, it was like a marriage. Better than a marriage since you can't divorce your friends. And even years down the road, there hadn't even been a time where we had come close to a breakup or a breakdown. We grew up. We got jobs. Ideally, boyfriends would come and go, mostly for her. But nothing ever really stuck. Eventually, we were going to have to cross that bridge someday. I don't know. I can't speak for her. I'm not even sure if it's something that was going to be for me, but you never know. Either one of us or both of us might meet the right guy. And Mr. Right Guy was going to be the new number one person in our lives. We envisioned ourselves having boyfriends and getting married, getting married together, and our husbands would become best friends and we would have kids and then our kids would become best friends. I mean, we had this all planned out. And in a perfect world, this definitely could have been our story. But we already learned the hard way on graduation night that this world is far from perfect. So it was almost eight years to the day since the car accident that changed our lives forever when I got a new job at the local marina. And it wasn't too far from where the crash occurred. It was difficult to have to drive by that location every day when I went to work but at the same time, I never wanted to forget how perfect life had been just before the moment it wasn't anymore. There's that tiny sliver of comfort. Not always, but at times, there's this comfort that wraps around me, knowing that it isn't completely impossible for that perfect life to have existed at some place and some time and some space in this world. It might be impossible for me to ever find it again, but at least I knew it existed. And at my new job, I met a new friend, Aiden. He was really nice, but he was quiet, though easygoing. We got along really well, and he made work that much more enjoyable for me. Before long, we started doing stuff together outside of work. And soon, it was kind of like Emma and I went from our twosome to a threesome once again when I introduced her to Aiden. We met up with Emma one night after work for dinner. And she hit it off with Aiden, more than I did apparently, 
And just like that, they were a couple. He had a lot more in common with Emma in that he grew up with that same family stock and pedigree that she did, except he was from the big city. At first, I didn't quite understand why he would want to leave the city and come here into this small, quiet little town because there's so much more to do and see there. But, you know, I guess they always say the grass is always greener, right? But once I got to know him better, I did begin to understand why he left, why he wanted to break free and try to carve his own path in life. Even though Aiden grew up with every opportunity in the world, right at his fingertips, he was never left wanting for anything, just like Emma. Unlike her, he didn't have the same kind of unconditional love and support that she had from her family. Aiden had very, very high, unattainable expectations of him. After all, he was to carry on the family name and the family legacy. It was non-negotiable as far as his parents were concerned. But poor Aiden, he just couldn't live up to his parents' standards and was often left to feel like he was the tarnish on his family's shiny, pretty name. They were swanky and pretentious and no matter how hard Aiden tried, nothing was ever good enough. Instead of continuing to live in this perpetual cycle of trying and failing and disappointing, he walked away. And he ended up in our beachy little town. I, for one, was glad that he did. Not that he ever could have replaced William. Nobody could have ever done that. But he kind of helped to fill a little bit of an empty space that William's death had left all those years before. I loved Aiden and Emma. She really loved him. A lot. And I... I was happy for them. Aiden didn't really like talking about his childhood all that much. It was wrought with fighting within the family and Aiden grew up to develop some deep-rooted issues when it came to anger and rage. He had gotten into trouble a lot in school. He regularly found himself in the principal's office. Phone calls to his parents were frequent. And this went on until the school just began suspending him. And they suspended him until he would just have to stop going to school altogether. His parents were forced to pull him out. He got into fights with other students as well as teachers. And he had a reputation as a bully. He was described as blatantly rude and disrespectful. He had no respect for authority. He had frequent outbursts in class. He had such terrible behavior that his reputation preceded him. It was dreadful for teachers to find out that he was on their roster. When he was finally pulled from school, instead of trying to take matter into their own hands and homeschooling him and working with him directly, his parents opted to ship him off to military school instead. I get that he needed the discipline and the structure, but I think they could have at least tried to work with him at home. They could have afforded to get him a private tutor. I think military school should have been the last resort, but that's just me. Especially because he was only 12 years old when they sent him. Yeah, Aiden was problematic that early on. I don't know, I tend to think his parents were just too hard on him from the beginning. They were so busy status-seeking and social climbing that they forgot all about love. To be honest, 
I don't think military school helped Aiden at all. If anything, I think it made him more angry and more resentful. Because as soon as he got into his teenage years, he began drinking alcohol in order to calm all of that rage that he kept feeling inside. And that certainly wasn't going to make things any better. But who am I to talk, right? Aiden hit the bottle. I popped the pills. I also had Emma by my side to get me through the worst of the worst times. And I don't know if Aiden had that kind of support. It didn't seem like it because he didn't get along with anybody. So I know firsthand how having her to count on as a friend could help ease all of that inner pain and turmoil. I thought she could definitely do the same for him now that he has her in his life. And really, we were both lucky to have him. But you know and I know that even our best friends can't quell anger and sadness forever. The urge for me to take my pills and for Aiden to turn to that bottle is never really that far away. When Aiden came home from his time at the military school, I don't exactly know how warm the welcome was, but the welcome itself was short-lived. I'm not sure of all the details of what happened. Some of the things in Aiden's background he just didn't want to dredge up or talk about very much, but from what I gathered just after he got home, he attended a family gathering at one of the city's most upscale restaurants, and at that gathering, an argument ensued between Aiden and his brother, which quickly escalated and before long, punches were being thrown. The restaurant manager called the local law enforcement who ended up arresting Aiden. And that was the last straw for his family. I don't know if it was really all Aiden's fault and I don't know who threw the first punch, but Aiden was already the black sheep of the family. So if somebody had to go to jail, it was going to be him. After that incident, Aiden's parents decided to wash their hands of him completely by sending him off to live here. And I mean, I'm glad they did. Otherwise, I would have never met him. But that was their solution. Send him someplace far enough to be no bother to them, but close enough where they could moderately keep tabs on him until he grew up and straightened his life out. He was no longer welcomed in the family home but they were willing to let him stay in the bungalow of the family vacation home near the marina. Everything happens for a reason, and I saw this as the universe's way of sending Aiden to us. Like I said earlier, Aiden and Emma both came from very prominent, powerful, well-connected families in the area, and their family names would definitely be recognized. Emma's experience was certainly much different than Aiden's in that she was very close with her parents and she knew she had a healthy trust fund, but it didn't stop her from wanting to work and build a life for herself. And I always admired that about her, how she had her head on straight, even though she really didn't have to. Emma wanted to be more than just a trust fund baby, and I admired her drive and her willingness to get out there instead of just settling. This was something Aiden also admired, but kind of in a different way. He knew that he had blown it with his parents and that they disowned him and they had taken away his trust fund. Everything that his family had was going to end up with his brother. This left Aiden feeling hopeless, believing that there was no redeeming himself, especially after 
he was arrested. They had options that night of the fight, at least that's how Aiden saw things. Both he and his brother could have been arrested. Possibly neither one of them arrested, but Aiden believed that his parents had a choice and they chose his brother over him and they threw him under the bus by having him hauled off to jail. All because of a fight that Aiden believed that they were both responsible for. If his parents were willing to have him sent to jail, then there was no way that there was anything that he could ever do to find himself back in their good graces. But being in a relationship with Emma, that just might do the trick. Even if Aiden never reconciled with this family, he would still be able to live the good life with Emma by his side. Besides, being with Emma and marrying into another prominent, well-connected family might just earn him the respect that he wanted from his own family. It might just get his name back on the trust fund too. At first, I was surprised that he proposed to Emma so quickly, but once I got to understand everything else that was going on in Aiden's background, it made sense. It didn't really matter. I was happy for them. He was good to Emma. He adored her. And that's all I really cared about. If she's happy, then I'm happy. I am proud of Emma for addressing one very important issue that she had with Aiden, and that was his drinking. She didn't want to act like his mom or his warden, but admittedly, there were times when Aiden went overboard with the drinking. And that was fine if Aiden wanted to live it up for the first time since there was some distance between himself and his family. He was in his 20s, he was single, as long as he was working and taking care of business, then he certainly deserved to cut loose when he felt like it. I knew that there were other issues going on with Aiden, where he turned to drinking to help him cope. And Emma knew that too. But she had put her foot down and if he wanted to put a ring on it, he had to get it under control if he wanted her to marry him. He agreed because he wanted to be with her. But it was not going to be easy. Aiden's drinking had become excessive, but once Emma accepted his proposal and she made her demands that he rein it in and get it under control, better yet, put a stop to it completely. So whenever Aiden did start drinking, Emma became very upset with him. In order to keep the peace, he had to stop. And he did. So with that, Emma and Aiden began planning for their wedding and for their future together. They set the date a little less than six months out. It was going to be on that upcoming New Year's Day. I thought it was kind of soon, but they actually saw no reason to wait. By the time that they were going to get married, Emma would be turning 27 later that year, so she felt like she was old enough and didn't have to set the date any later. Emma and I had always talked about planning our weddings together, but it seemed like Aiden had taken an active role in the whole process, so... She kind of didn't need me after all. And after they had got engaged, I barely saw Emma for the rest of the summer. I would see Aiden at work, but that was work. Most of my free time I was spending alone, which is okay, I guess. I wanted to be happy for my friends. If the situation were the other way around and I was busy planning my wedding, 
I think I would have wanted Emma planning it with me, but even if I didn't, she would totally understand. I wanted to be the same way for her. But just between us, it was hard. I was kind of lonely. A lot. I went from a twosome to a threesome to a lonesome pretty quickly. And I missed her. The beach, the sun, the surf, it just wasn't the same without her. But hey, she was so happy. And that's exactly what I wanted for her. She's not mine. I don't own her. And maybe she misses me too. And once the wedding is over, things can get back to normal and we'll just pick back up from where we left off. Hopefully. Things kind of started looking up again for me one day when I decided to head to the beach by myself to try and enjoy what little time was left of the summer. You tend to think, that nobody goes to the beach by themselves, right? Who does that? I worked at the marina and I didn't think I ever really saw anybody there alone. The summer was our busiest time of year. Everybody was out there with their family and friends. I couldn't ever remember seeing anybody alone. So I tried to find a secluded spot away from any crowds to set up my chair and my umbrella. And well... It turned out that I wasn't the only person to ever be alone at the beach. I noticed another woman looking like she was there to do the same thing as me, set herself up away from all the other beachgoers. I can't exactly remember who noticed who first, or even who struck up the conversation, but before I knew it, she and I were chatting the whole afternoon away. And that's how I met Aubrey. Bree for short. Like when I first met Aiden, Bree was new in town. As soon as we began talking, it oddly felt like we had known each other forever. Maybe perhaps in another life. It was just weird, and I can't really explain it. We just connected. I liked her, and it was so refreshing to finally be able to sit down and relax and talk to somebody again. Someone who, like me, really had nothing much else going on at the time other than just worrying about herself. That's what Brie was there for. There at the beach, and really there in town, to work on herself. Maybe that's what I was doing too, I just hadn't given it a name. Now that I wasn't busy with Emma and Aiden, instead of me throwing myself a pity party, it was time for me to work on me. It turned out that for Brie, being alone was something that she was used to, she didn't have any brothers and sisters, and when she was young, her mom and dad went through an extremely acrimonious divorce. Even though she was a child, she vividly remembered how bitterly they fought, and when it was over, they hated each other. They couldn't even be in the same room with one another. And the trauma of it all, the whole experience, deeply affected Brie to a point where growing up, Brie avoided being close to people. She avoided friendships and intimate relationships. She also never wanted to get too comfortable in one place for too long. She had no interest in those things that most other people seek. Things like safety, security, stability, love, and commitment. She wanted nothing of the sort. And I kind of admired that about her. 
I can't say if that's the kind of life I could have lived for myself because I love my family and my friends so much. I couldn't imagine not having them or a home to call my own to lay down in every night. But if you don't know anything different than being alone, then loneliness isn't a word in your vocabulary. You can't miss what you never had. I'm just not wired that way. I would rather have Emma and Aiden and miss them than to never have had them at all. Bree was also quite a bit more experienced than I was when it came to men. Her love life was kind of soap opera-ish. And I mean, don't get me wrong, Bree wasn't interested in having a boyfriend or a husband, but she wasn't opposed to casually hooking up with boyfriends and husbands, you know, other people's people. Personally, that's not for me, but I didn't want to be too judgy. I think she felt safe in that space being the other woman because it lessened the chance that the gentleman that she was being with would ever pursue her for a relationship. What Bree did in her personal life really wasn't any of my business, but it was interesting to listen to her talk about her exploits, I guess you could say. She really liked the attention that men showered her with. She had absolutely no attachments or expectations, so she really didn't care who they were or what their situation was. In fact, the less she knew, the better. She preferred it that way. She never planned on getting married or having kids. The only commitment Brie had was to Brie. I found out later on that the reason Brie relocated to our town was because she got caught up in a mess after having slept with a married man and his wife caught them together in bed. But that wasn't the reason why she split. The man's wife ended up murdered and dumped in the woods. The husband was immediately suspected of having something to do with her death, and so was Bree. The investigation into the murder led to the revelation that the husband was having an affair with her, so the cloud of suspicion covered the both of them. There was this theory that they conspired together to kill the wife so that he could be with Bree and she could be with him. Eventually, police concluded that Bree was not involved and she was cleared, but she was only cleared as far as the police were concerned. The rumors and the innuendo spread. Bree was cast in the community as this murderous floozy, this Jezebel, and there was just no escaping it. Her name and her reputation was destroyed, and she was pretty much driven out of town. As Bree was deciding what to do and where to go, she had done a little bit of soul-searching, and she realized that she enjoyed the company of men on a very, very temporary basis. That was not going to change, but she really felt like what she needed in her life was a friend. And she had that epiphany just before we met. So it was kind of like fate that I decided to go to that beach that day and that I picked the spot where I ended up because she ended up doing the same. I can't say that I was looking for a friend per se, but I do know that I was missing mine. And Bree can't say that she was necessarily looking for one either, but she had already come to the revelation that she wanted one. Lucky for the both of us, I had a vacancy. And it made me feel really good when she told me that I was the very first close friend that she'd ever had. 
So yeah, us meeting, it was like kismet. Bree and I became fast friends. If we weren't together, going out or having lunch or shopping, then we were on the phone, calling or texting. She was exactly what I needed now that my best friends were getting married. I really wasn't having any prospects in the romance department. Bree didn't want any prospects in the romance department, so we were like perfect for each other. A few weeks after Bree and I met, I was finally able to talk Emma into meeting up with us for lunch. I really wanted her to meet Bree. You know, there was hopefully going to be a time someday in the future when Emma and I would begin hanging out again once the wedding was over and she and Aiden settled down into their new life together. So I wanted to make sure that she knew even though Bree and I were together constantly, you know, it's a small town and everybody spotted us together and word spreads very quickly. I really wanted Emma to rejoin me. Don't be put off by the fact that I was hanging out with somebody else. And I wanted to maybe even start a brand new little best friends group between the three of us. Make it a threesome once again. Before we actually met up with Emma, I had already told her all about Brie. And I don't know what compelled her to do this, but for some reason, before she met up with us for lunch that day, she decided to Google her. I was kind of taken aback by that. I mean, if you meet a new friend, is the first thing you think to do is to run to Google? I don't. I meet them, I get to know them, and I make my own judgment calls. It's not like I'm sizing Brie up for a job interview or potential romantic interest or anything like that. That I could understand. But whatever, Emma was just being Emma. She was always very protective of me, especially after the car accident, so I get it. But you also have to be around somebody to be protective of them too. Just saying. Well, the drama that Bree had been involved in with that husband and the murdered wife appeared in Emma's Google searches, and that's all that it took for Emma to become suspicious she saw red flags everywhere and was immediately turned off by my new friendship. I knew her heart was in the right place, but Bree was investigated and cleared. I mean, even when the car accident happened and we lost William, I was investigated. Police had to make sure that I wasn't driving under the influence or driving recklessly. They had to make sure that this was an accident and not an on-purpose and I was cleared of any wrongdoing, just like Bree was. Emma didn't see it that way, and she didn't want to be friends with her. I was disappointed, but I wasn't going to give up. Yes, our friendship did happen fast, but I figured Emma just needed a little bit more time to get to know Bree better, and she would see that there really isn't anything to worry about. I was sure of that. I do have to confess something to you. As the summer wore on and Emma had been so consumed with her wedding planning, I actually started to think that maybe this was a precursor to what was going to end up happening. Emma was so caught up with her wedding and she was so consumed with Aiden. If she was that immersed in the wedding, it seemed like the natural course of things would dictate that she would be consumed with her marriage and that would be her priority 
And of course, that's the way things should be. Not that our lifelong friendship had to come to an end just because she was getting married, but her priorities were going to have to shift and I was going to have to take a back seat to it all. And I was coming to terms with the fact that I might have to just accept that. Life is a journey and things evolve, people change, but that doesn't mean that we don't love and care about each other. So she really can't blame me for embracing my new friendship with Bree. Bree came into my life at just the right time. But if you ask Emma, she would say that Bree was preying on my kindness and my vulnerabilities. I told her to just let me decide for myself. And what better way to get to know one another than to become roomies? Yep, Bree and I decided to get a place together. Two perpetually boyfriendless friends making a financially prudent move, wanting to save money by moving in. It made sense. Okay, well, look, we both found ourselves in a situation where we needed, or at least wanted anyway, to find a place. I had been living with my mom and dad ever since the car accident. That was eight years ago, so I felt like it was time for me to venture out onto my own. And Brie, she was renting a place, but the owners only rented it for the summer, and she was going to have to find a place anyway, so it kind of worked out perfectly. Yes, we didn't know each other for very long. It'd only been a month. Emma gave me a really hard time about this, but I had to point out that this is coming from someone who got engaged and was getting married in under six months after having met Aiden. So she really has no room to talk. I loved the idea of living with Bree. Not only would it alleviate some of the financial burdens of living on her own, but the whole thing kind of had this buddy-buddy sitcom straight out of the 1980s feel to it. It was a given that Emma was not going to be happy with Bree and me becoming roommates. But I figured I just had to give Emma time to get to know Bree and she would eventually come around. Everybody has a past and everybody deserves a second chance. Bree came here for a new start, which to me meant it was really important to her to have that. I just wished that Emma trusted me and trusted my judgment. Besides, I am an adult. I like to think I'm fairly intelligent and I trust myself. If something is off about Brie, which I have seen no indication yet that there is, but if there is, I'll know it and I'll deal with it in my own way. I love Emma, but she is so busy with her own life. I really don't think she is in any position to pass judgment about somebody else that she doesn't even know yet. It was just time. We just needed time. We moved in to our rental house on August 1st. Aiden, ever my sweet Aiden, was more than happy to help us move our stuff into the new place. And it was a chance for him and Bree to meet. Even though I did see Aiden at work, even if I wasn't, it felt like at the time I was seeing more of him than I was seeing Emma outside of work. The things that were going on around us, the wedding planning, my new friendship with Bree, the move that we made into our new house, those outside things weren't having the same effect on my friendship with Aiden as they were with Emma. So he would make time to hang out with me. We would have lunch, we would go to the mall, take care of errands, thing that Emma was either too busy to do or not really wanting to do because of Bree. So thankfully, 
I at least still had him. And I know that some of you might be thinking, oh, that sounds like a recipe for trouble, being best friends with your best friend's boyfriend. But to me, that's what being best friends is all about. We call ourselves best friends because we love and trust each other. Emma implicitly trusted me. She knew that I would never, ever want or allow anything to ever happen between myself and Aiden. Never. But when it came to Bree, that's another story. Emma didn't trust her any further than she could throw her. When we met up for that lunch date, when I introduced the two of them, Emma could see how flirtatious Bree was with other restaurant patrons and employees. She'd even slipped her number on the back of our bill to the waiter when he came to clear away some of our dishes. Emma felt like Bree was way too audacious by coming on so strongly. But flirting with people in a social situation doesn't mean that Bree is going to be that way around Aiden when she knows that he's engaged to my best friend. Besides, it takes two to tango, and I trust that Aiden would never do anything to hurt Emma or jeopardize their relationship. At least, I think that I trust them. I mean, they're getting married in exactly three months. He loves Emma. He just wouldn't. I guess what I really didn't get or know or see at the time was just how insecure Emma felt about Bree and I being friends. I know Emma is very guarded over me and over us, but she also needs to step back and have a measure of self-awareness and see how she has neglected our friendship ever since she and Aiden got engaged. Did I ever complain or become protective or garden over us when Aiden came into the picture? No. I mean, I met Aiden and befriended him first, and when he and Emma began dating, I was happy for them and supportive. Even when I started seeing less and less of her, I never complained or tried to make her feel guilty, even though I was feeling so isolated and lonely. Aiden even made time for me. He went out of his way to come and see me and hang out. Emma wasn't even doing that. But the last thing I wanted to do was to make her feel bad because I knew how important it was to her that every single detail of her wedding was perfect. I know because we've talked so much about our dream weddings with each other ever since we were little girls. And I would never want to take any of that away from her just because I was missing her. I didn't want to be selfish, which makes me sad because I feel like that's what she's kind of doing to me. Instead of being happy and supportive of me and my new friendship, all she can do is try and find everything she can that she doesn't like about it. And I didn't think it was very fair. Once Bree and I moved in, I think that's when Emma started to try to calm her feelings down about Bree a little bit because she could see that at least for the time being, Bree was there to stay whether she liked it or not. I know that she didn't want to do any more damage between us. She didn't want us drifting any further apart. There was a very real risk of that happening if Emma didn't make a conscious effort to change. So thankfully, for the sake of our friendship, Emma decided to set aside her judgy opinions and make nice. We sat down and had a talk about it. I told her that I was happy and that I was excited about Bree and about the move into the new house and I wanted her to be happy for me too. She told me that she was sorry that she hadn't been around much and that she never meant to hurt me or make me feel bad and she didn't want to lose me as her friend 
and that she would set aside her concerns and her preconceived notions of Brie, and she even said that she was probably overreacting anyway. After Emma and I had that heart-to-heart, she made a point to start coming around more often and spend time with both me and Brie, which made me happy, and actually happier than I had been in a long time. It was beginning to look like a brand new threesome for us. What I didn't realize at the time was beneath the surface, for Emma, there was still a great deal of animosity and jealousy brewing. But she did a pretty good job of keeping it tamped down, and I know she did that for my sake. But I just wish she would have been more open with me about her feelings so we could work on sorting through them together. I know I didn't have an easy time dealing with my emotions alone, especially when it came to the time I was feeling abandoned by Emma after she got together with Aiden. I knew that there was a way to find a healthy balance. Even Aiden was able to figure that out. But Emma either didn't see it or she didn't care. So it frustrates me to know that Emma was harboring all of these negative feelings about Brie, but on the surface, she was pretending that everything was okay. In the past, when it was me, Emma, and William, or me, Emma, and Aiden, she was always the stronger, more dominant personality out of the three of us. It didn't matter to me, or William, or Aiden for that matter, about being the alpha person in our relationships. It just wasn't important to us. My friends were the priority. If there was any struggle for being the stronger person in the friendship, we probably wouldn't be friends. But when it came to Brie, when she entered into the mix, all of a sudden, she was the dominant one. So while I thought Emma had finally put aside her initial feelings about Brie in order to be our friend, it wasn't really genuine. What she wanted was to regain control of our friendship by reestablishing herself as the dominant number one person in my life. At the same time, she wanted Bree to get out of our apartment, she wanted her out of our town, and she wanted her out of our lives for good. She wanted to run Bree out just like she had been run out by the last community that she lived in that had turned against her. Bree had been sent packing once before, and Emma intended to see it happen again. As she saw it, in spite of all of the bravado, Bree could be made to run away with her tail between her legs. It was only a matter of her being pushed to that point. I hadn't realized at the time just how much Emma wanted her out of the picture. You know what it is about small towns? They say that nobody is a stranger. And that definitely was the case where we lived. It wasn't going to take very long for people to start noticing that Bree was a stranger. She was a new face. But... If she wanted a place to lay low and have a fresh start, she was going to have to work at it because she stood out. She was new here, and she was also tall and beautiful, and she had quite an exotic look about her. I was always a bit of a square, but, you know, after the car accident and the scars that were left behind on my face, I was never really the same. I avoided mirrors for a very long time. I still try to, as much as I can. Anyway, there's this guy that lives here in town. 
His name is Carter. Everybody knew him or knew of him. He was really handsome and fit, and he was quite the charmer. I'd often see him down at the beach, always talking to women. He was really popular with the ladies, and he slept with most of them, at least that's what I heard. Well, one afternoon, Bree and I were laying out on the beach when Carter noticed Bree. He had never seen her before, so he walked right over to us and introduced himself. It was obvious that he was interested in her, of course, as he started chatting her up. I will say this, though. Looking back, I wish Emma would have Googled Carter the way she'd Googled Bree. Maybe I'm the one that should have Googled him. Carter had dated and slept with lots of women. That was a given. But he also fought with them, too. He had been arrested several times. Women filed charges for incidents where he had become physically violent, but also for other things such as stalking and harassing. But nothing ever really stuck. I did not know that at the time. Otherwise, I would have warned Bree. But to be honest with you, I don't really think it would have made a difference. She would have probably told me that she was very capable of handling things and taking care of herself. Which was true. She was far from a wilting flower. But still, you never know with people. Much to my surprise, Bree was pretty into Carter. More than she had been with the other guys that she had talked to or flirted with. She liked him a lot. And the feeling was mutual. And before I knew it, my new best friend had kind of a boyfriend that seemed like it was going in that direction. Well, I lived with Bree by then, so I still saw her all the time. So it wasn't like what happened with Emma when she got together with Aiden when I stopped seeing her altogether. But Carter was always around a lot too, and I didn't mind much, but I could do without all of the PDA. There was this one afternoon when Aiden was over helping me to fix my garbage disposal. My usual broom handle trick was not working this time, and Carter and Bree were making out in the kitchen. Another minute and they would have probably been doing it on top of the counter. Bree could see that I was kind of uncomfortable with it all. Aiden had his head under the sink so he wasn't really paying attention, and she said something kind of off the cuff, like maybe I wouldn't be such a stick in the mud if Aiden and I were just finally hooked up. I glanced down at Aiden, and then he glanced back at me, and now both of us were uncomfortable. Are any of you wondering why Aiden and I didn't get together instead of him and Emma? I honestly never really thought about it. We were co-workers, and that always has the potential to go sideways, and we needed our jobs. I'm also way more shy and insecure than both Emma and Bree. My scars have a lot to do with that. I hadn't gone out on a date with anyone since before the car accident because of it. And then there were the pills that I took for pain. I'll admit, they used to be for the physical pain, but somewhere along the line, I began using them for emotional pain. But besides that, I wouldn't have wanted to jeopardize my friendship with Aiden by having it turn into something romantic. I don't know, maybe if I had known Aiden a little better, and if some more time had passed, I might have been able to muster up the courage to admit that deep down, 
that I may have had a tiny itty bitty little bit of a crush on him. It's just that Emma beat me to the punch. Even if things soured between him and Emma, I think I would still be friends with him. And that's all we would ever be because you don't date your best friend's ex. I never worry about that though because their relationship seems solid to me. At least I thought it was. But Bree making that comment did get me thinking. What if I did start dating Aiden instead of Emma and I had missed the chance because she made a move on him before I did? Things would be so different. I don't think I would be as much of a bridezilla as Emma was being. And I certainly wouldn't neglect our friendship the way that she did once she began obsessing over the wedding planning. Okay, I have to stop myself. Why am I saying these things about my best friend? Maybe I'm the one with the problem. Maybe it's me that pulled away from Emma and not the other way around. Am I, like, secretly jealous of her and Aiden? Should I be the one making the wedding plans and not her? All this time, I've been blaming Emma for never making time for me anymore. But maybe I was the one subconsciously not making time for her. Now that I think about it, yeah, the wedding planning crap was super annoying. And I think being lonely and isolated was the better option for me. I don't know. I can't say it enough. I love Emma. I don't love the constant blabbing about the dresses and the flowers and being the maid of honor. I mean, it was getting nauseating. I also don't love the fact that Brie was banned from coming anywhere near the wedding. <laughs> yeah, Brie was not going to be invited. I didn't expect Emma to make her a bridesmaid or anything like that, but I thought at least she could send her an invite. Emma promised that she would back off of her suspicions of Brie, and I thought she was making a real effort to get to know her, but when she told me that Brie wasn't welcome to the wedding, I was surprised and then I was upset. Things did get off to a rocky start, but I thought that we were past that. I had no idea that Emma's animosity and resentment towards Brie had only intensified over time. It wasn't getting any better. I appreciate her trying to keep those feelings buried, but I don't appreciate how fake she had been acting. It's not like Emma to be so two-faced. I would have never expected her to be that way. So yeah, it was really upsetting when she told me that Brie wasn't going to be invited to her wedding. And that is when Emma let it all spill out. She hated Brie. She hated everything about her. That she's a slut who keeps sleeping around with as many men as she possibly can. That everybody around town knows it. That she's an attention whore that constantly has to be the center of everything, everywhere that she goes. That it's embarrassing to be seen with her. And if she was to be at her wedding, there was no doubt that Brie would make the biggest day of Emma's life all about herself. Everybody knows what Brie is like. And Emma was not going to subject her family and her friends and all of her guests to a garbage person like that. And just as Emma had finished going off on this rant about how much she couldn't stand her, Brie walked up and suddenly Emma like turned up the charm like way up, gave her a hug, told her how pretty she looked and asked her where she got the jacket that she was wearing because it was so cute. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. How could a person go from loathing to loving 
in a split second. It was in that moment that I realized Emma had been faking being friends with Bree all this time. She was doing it to appease me, but I'd rather my best friend be real than to be like this. It's one of the very first times that I could ever remember feeling so disappointed in Emma. I also started wondering if my friendship with her was as genuine as I'd always thought it had been. And now I was feeling stuck in the middle of this mess, trying to defend Bree and our friendship versus the loyalty between Emma and myself. I couldn't deny that Emma and I had been through so much. I just couldn't wrap my head around the idea that it could have all been fake. I racked my brain trying to figure out what the best thing to do was. Clearly nothing that I had said to Emma over the past month since Bri and I moved in had worked. Obviously, since I now knew how Emma really felt, the only thing I felt like I could do was to come clean with Bree. I didn't want things to be awkward when the time came for the wedding and Bree would be left out in the cold after months of Emma acting so warm and friendly towards her. It wouldn't have made any sense. I had to tell Bree the truth before things got any worse. So I leveled with her. I tried to go as easy as possible about it. I told her about Emma's feelings, but I also said that Emma just doesn't know her the way that I do. That maybe Emma's even a little bit jealous because she's the one who's used to getting all of the attention. And that perhaps over time, she would come around. But I didn't think it was going to happen in time for the wedding. But most importantly, I wanted Bree to try and be understanding and to continue to try to be as friendly as possible with her. I figured that eventually Emma would see that there was nothing to worry about. And really... My biggest fear was losing one of them or both of them. Bree looked at me and she took a deep breath and she said that she's used to fake people and she's used to other women feeling threatened and insecure around her. But that's why she liked me so much, that I wasn't petty or jealous like that. And because this wasn't anything new for Bree, she had become accustomed to just ignoring haters, even playing nice to their face. On top of that, Bree said she really didn't care what people thought of her. She said she did value me and our friendship, and if I wanted her to just put on a show for Emma, then she would. She said she would play nice, and she wouldn't crash the wedding, which was her initial plan, I came to find out. She already knew that she wasn't going to be invited to the wedding when I told her it wasn't news to her. I was relieved. But from then on, I was just going to have to have my friendships with Bree and Emma separately for now. And I would go out of my way to make the effort to reassure Emma that she had nothing to worry about, that she was never going to lose me to Bree or anyone else for that matter. I did have an idea that I thought might help bridge the gap between Bree and Emma. Emma's birthday was around the time when summer ended and school started, which was always kind of a bummer and she never really was in the mood for a party. That and her parents tended to go overboard when it came to stuff like that. And even though Emma loved a good party, she didn't want them planning it. So Bri and I decided to throw her a surprise birthday party. Emma didn't know about the talk that Bri and I had had, and Bri was willing to help me plan the party. 
So when Emma found out that we did this together, then maybe that would help lessen the tension between them. I would even give Brie all the credit for the whole party if that would help. And I know it would mean a lot to Emma that Brie would go through all that trouble for her. So I thought that it was going to be a very well laid plan. But turns out I was wrong. Leading up to all of this, neither Brie nor I paid much attention to what was going on with Carter. I wasn't even really sure what their relationship was or how it was defined or if it was something they even talked about between themselves. They hung out all the time, so I thought that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And as far as I could tell, Brie liked him, so maybe she was starting to settle down but it had only been a little more than a month since they had met, but I don't know. I just don't know what they were. What Bree may not have realized at the time is Carter was taking their relationship way more seriously than she seemed to be. I adored Bree too, and I liked hanging out with her. She has a very magnetic personality, so I could understand why he wanted to be around her so much. But because I knew that he had been so promiscuous in the past with other women, it didn't really cross my mind that he would be so quick to attach himself to Brie, but apparently he did. So when the time came for Emma's birthday party and he got there, he was kind of giving off a weird vibe because Brie was drinking and dancing and socializing with everybody at the party while he kind of quietly hung out in the background. I figured it was because these were mostly Emma's friends and since he didn't know anybody, he was keeping to himself. Up to that point, Brie and Carter had always hung out alone with each other. This was the first time that they were together in a group setting and he was kind of the odd person out. What I later found out was that he was seething with jealousy over Brie, having so much fun with everybody else and wasn't giving him her undivided attention. I had no idea that my effort to patch things up between Emma and Brie would set Carter off the way it did. At the party, Brie was talking to one of the guests when suddenly Carter walked up. He placed his hand on this guy's chest and kind of aggressively moved him physically away from Brie and told him to go fetch him another beer and shoved his empty bottle into this guy's hand. Emma and I had never seen anybody act like that before. And Carter was pretty imposing and intimidating. So the guy just walked away and didn't speak to Brie again for the rest of the evening. And I can't say that I blame him. In fact, nobody really interacted with her anymore after that. And this was especially true for the guys at the party. And even if anyone wanted to, they couldn't. Because Carter never left Brie's side after that. He was hanging all over her, touching her, making out with her to a point where people were starting to get offended. They were doing things that needed to be done in private, and Brie had her bedroom. This was our house. At the time, I didn't know why they didn't go in there for some privacy. Looking back, it was because Carter wanted everyone looking on while he marked his territory. It was gross, and Emma and I had never seen anyone act like this before. And it was so awkward, but it offended Emma the most. She may have eased up her negative opinions about Brie a little bit when she first got to the party, but she was far from letting go of how she had been feeling about Brie. This was only going to make matters worse by confirming for Emma that she was right all along. 
There was something way off about that woman, and Carter for that matter too. I knew I was going to get the I told you so treatment from Emma when all of this was over because of how much of a spectacle Brie was making of herself at her birthday party. Emma just rolled her eyes and tried to enjoy what was left of the evening, but I was pretty sure that this was going to be a major setback in my plans to get some peace between Emma and Brie. And then it got worse. Carter, as if this guy could get any more arrogant, he decides to pull a Brie and make Emma's party all about himself too by getting down on one knee in front of all of Emma's friends who were there to celebrate her birthday and he actually asked Brie to marry him. OMG. I wish the ground would have opened up and swallowed me whole. I can't describe how mortified I was when he did that. If Brie was an attention whore, then Carter was an attention whore on steroids. And by the way, I'm pretty sure that he was on steroids on top of everything else. But his ego was definitely the biggest thing in the room. The fact that he would propose marriage at somebody else's party was exactly what someone like that would do. It wasn't Bree's fault that Carter was acting like such a narcissistic jackass. But leading up to him getting down on bended knee, she wasn't exactly discouraging him from acting so aggressively sexual towards her. I know that she liked the attention, but she also knew how important this night was to me to try and mend things between her and Emma. I guess maybe she didn't think it was that big of a deal or didn't have any awareness of how offended her actions would be to Emma. But now I understood why Emma didn't want her at her wedding. She figured something like this would happen and she was right. I don't know. Was it time for me to just give up? Well, when Emma got so visibly upset and then stormed out of the room, I was pretty sure there was no hope. I was so disappointed that Brie strayed from the mission. I mean, she was supposed to be doing this for me. She knew how much I wanted her and Emma to get along. Maybe she just didn't get it. Or she didn't care. After what happened with Brie and Carter, and because I'd been trying to get Emma to accept Brie as a friend, it caused Emma to start questioning her trust in me. If I loved her and cared about her so much, why would I continue to so persistently try to force her to like Brie? A real friend wouldn't bring these types of people into her life. If I wanted to surround myself with trash, then fine. Be friends with Brie. But me trying to drag her into my mess just shows how little I thought of her. At least, that's what she was thinking. Emma wasn't sure she could trust me anymore. And that really hurt. While all of this was unfolding, Aiden had been out in the patio by himself nursing a beer. Large gatherings were not his thing because he had such a shy personality. For a time when he was younger because he had gotten in all the trouble that he had been in, his parents had taken him to see a therapist where it was determined that he definitely suffered from social anxiety disorder. Emma knew about this, so she understood to an extent why he was the way that he was and didn't mind when he sat things out like this. But at the same time, when Emma got so busy with the wedding planning and then 
all of the problems that she was having with Bree came up, Aiden at times felt a little bit put off. And it was similar to the way that Carter was feeling when Bree wasn't paying attention to him all the time, except it manifested differently in Aiden than it did in Carter. And it had been building up in him in the days and weeks leading up to the surprise party. I had spent time with Aiden and I tried to reassure him that Emma was just distracted with the wedding, that he was the most important thing to her. But he told me that it seemed like the only time she ever called or talked to him was when she needed something or needed help with the problem. So when Emma stormed out to the patio to complain to Aiden about Bree, he, for the first time, struck back. He had also been drinking that evening for the first time in a while, because remember, he promised Emma that he would cut back, and he did, at least we thought he did, up until that night. So with a little bit of liquid courage in him, he finally snapped. He told her all this stuff with Bree was so petty that Emma was wasting so much time worrying about someone who really didn't matter and that he was sick and tired of hearing about it. I was peering out the kitchen window and listening in on their argument. And when he didn't automatically take Emma's side and jump to save the day when she told him that Brian Carter had taken over her birthday party, she got in Aiden's face, she snatched the beer bottle out of his hand and yelled at him to stop drinking and that he needed to have her back. He grabbed his beer back from her, he called her a bitch and told her to get over herself. Emma turned around and walked away. I went to try and talk to her, but she needed some time to cool down. So I let her be for the time being. Aiden fell back into the patio chair and chugged what was left of his beer. And then he cracked open another one. Meanwhile, Carter's marriage proposal did not go the way that he had pictured it in his head. I could have seen what happened coming from a mile away, knowing what I know about Bree and her feelings about commitment. While he was down on his knee, he waited for the yes that would never come. Bree let go of his hand. She turned around and went into the bathroom. I don't know if she had been sending Carter mixed messages. She may have, but I knew she wasn't interested in the commitment. She liked her freedom and she enjoyed being with whomever she wanted to be whenever she wanted. And like I said earlier, having witnessed the breakdown of her parents' marriage and the bitter divorce that ensued, she had known from a very young age that she never wanted that for herself. She did not want to be stuck in that cycle. I could see her stringing Carter along because of how much he fawned over her, and I know she liked that. None of us would have guessed that he would have asked her to marry him after only knowing her for a few weeks, though. But he went there. And if you ask me, Carter got what he deserved. While Bree was acting wildly inappropriate in front of all of the party guests, it wasn't her fault that Carter did what he did. Either way, Emma was justifiably angered and annoyed by the whole fiasco. And Carter's reaction to Bree running off while he was still down on his knee, it triggered something in him. I was looking at him when it happened. Bree wasn't going to dignify his proposal with even a no. She said nothing. And in Carter's mind, it was like a switch had flipped. He didn't say anything right away, but I could see the shocked look on his face and the disbelief in his eyes. And nothing spells out being 
furiously angry than like veins bulging out from somebody's forehead. I was fairly certain that I could see them pulsating too. And to be honest, it kind of scared me. And then it got worse again. What happened next is almost unbelievable. And you're probably going to be thinking, there is no way this even happened when I tell it to you. And it didn't even have anything to do with Carter. Once Bree finally emerged from the bathroom, she told me that she needed to get some fresh air. I know you can already see where this is going, right? She went out into the patio where Aiden was still at with his beer and his patio chair. And for whatever reason, in the moment, with the two of them out there, maybe it was heightened emotions, somehow, some way, they began kissing. It was such an intense night, and everybody had been drinking, but this was absolutely the worst thing that Brie could have followed up Carter's proposal with, and I'll never understand what the heck she was thinking. If there was ever any hope that things would get better between Brie and Emma, after she and Carter stole the spotlight at her own birthday party, all of that was lost after this. <sighs> I was beside myself. I never thought that there was anything more other than just a high-bye kind of a thing between Bree and Aiden. They hardly ever talked whenever Aiden was around, which is why I think it was more to do with the two of them being a little bit tipsy, leading to them getting a little bit too touchy-feely. And if you can believe it, it got worse again because Emma caught them making out in the patio. She ran out there and began slapping Brie, yanking her by the hair, and it erupted into this full-on cat fight. And the way that they were screaming, it's a wonder that none of the neighbors called the police. I ran out there as Aiden was trying to get between the two of them, and we managed to grab a hold of Emma. She tried pulling away, but I stood in front of her so that Brie would stop her attack until finally she went back into the house. I was completely mortified and distraught as to how quickly my plan to broker peace between my two best friends fell to pieces. This night couldn't have gone any worse. And later on, I'd come to find out, yeah, it actually could. Because Carter witnessed the kiss too. And I told you, this guy has already been triggered several times leading up to this point. All I could say to myself in my head is, what have I done? Was I that stupid and ignorant to think that I could just magically make two people who made it very clear to me that they hated each other to like each other instead? Not only did my plan backfire on me in the worst way, now I didn't know what to think about any of my friends. It felt like everybody was trying to stab everyone else in the back and the more I thought about it, and how all of this ended so badly, I wasn't even sure anymore whose fault this was. Carter? Fuck him. I wish he would have just never come around in the first place. Was it Bree's fault? Did she go out there and come on to Aiden? Did Aiden come on to her? Would we not even be in this situation if Emma would not have been so awful towards Bree in the beginning? She never even gave her a chance, and when she did, it was all fake. Or was it me? When you break it down, yeah, maybe, if it wasn't for my own stupid fears and insecurities, none of this would have happened in the first place. But I ended up 
being incredibly upset with them and myself. In the end, though, it'll be abundantly clear what our biggest problem would turn out to be. Emma was crushed by Aiden's betrayal, but at the same time, she also felt validated when it came to her gut instincts about Brie. But the wedding that she had been so passionate about planning and making perfect, it was all in jeopardy now. Aiden, he went into full-blown groveling mode. He begged Emma for her forgiveness. He knew he had messed up big time, and to make matters worse, there was the fact that he broke his promise about drinking. Aiden had so many other things going on emotionally, things from his past, being outcasted from his family. Everything that had happened just made him feel worthless, that he would never amount to anything. His family had sent him to live here just so that they didn't have to see him or deal with him. And that kind of rejection from his family, that hurt and that pain, those feelings of inadequacy, it all cuts so deep and that's what really drove him to drink. Once he met Emma, not only did she make him feel better about himself to a point that it enabled him to start taking sobriety more serious, but getting married to her, that would have been validating for him in and of itself, but not just validating for him, but also for his family, that he wasn't the worthless loser that they made him out to be. If he was, then he would never be able to marry an extraordinary woman like Emma from such a wealthy and prominent family. That was going to be his springboard to proving to his family that he was worthy. And now that was slipping away from him because of a stupid, drunken mistake with a girl he really didn't even know or necessarily even care about. This caused him to hate Brie nearly as much as Emma already did. Aiden apologized profusely to Emma over the next few weeks, and while she wasn't ready to dump the wedding plans, she also wasn't ready to let this go just yet. What ended up happening was Emma was saying and doing things that were making him feel like he was a child under the rule of his parents all over again. He was under constant threat from Emma, with her berating him and badgering him about where he was and what he was doing, making demands of him, ordering him as to what to do and what not to do. I could tell that he was trying to jump through all of Emma's hoops in order to win her forgiveness, but Aiden had to have been wondering the same things that I was wondering. How long could he go on like this? Was this one mistake going to define the rest of their relationship? Would he be made to repent for this for the rest of his life? He wasn't willing to do that for his parents, but would he do it for Emma? And all of Emma's attitude towards Aiden, all it did was drive him back to drinking, and it was worse than ever. He spent his whole life being made to feel like a loser that could never measure up to his parents' expectations. And now Emma's doing the exact same thing to him. I knew Aiden had a breaking point, and I felt like Emma was going to push him to the brink by making him pay for what he did by treating him this way. If anything, it made me appreciate being single. Aiden wasn't the only one who was thrown into a downward spiral because of all this. Carter was too. Bree not only rejected him, 
she rejected him publicly and in one of the worst ways possible. Have any of you ever watched Wedding Proposal Fails on YouTube? It's so cringe when the woman says no. Picture that times a thousand. This happened in front of all of Emma's friends, and nobody knew who this guy was. And he had already made a fool out of himself by acting way too inappropriately with Bree leading up to the proposal. He'd also been humiliated. For a guy who could have any woman, well, almost any woman apparently, he was not taking this rejection from Bree well at all. And remember, he had some concerning incidents in his background that we really didn't know about at the time. But I don't know if his propensity for violence would have made Bree shy away from him or if it would have attracted her to him even more. Somehow, I tend to think the latter. But while Aiden was drinking his woes away, Carter was steeped in rage that intensified with each passing minute. While things continued to grow worse for Carter, things between Emma and Aiden were starting to get slightly better, and I mean slightly while she was still furious with him. Emma still loved him. She knew that alcohol was a factor, and she did have somebody that she already hated with a passion to blame for all of this. And that would be Bree. And all she could do was just hope that maybe she would fall off the face of the earth. Emma never wanted to so much even hear her name mentioned ever again. And through all of her anger and frustrations towards Aiden, it only seemed to give her a measure of resolve to hang on to the hopes and dreams that she had had for herself and her future. She still loved him, and she definitely wanted that wedding of her dreams. As long as Bree was dead to them, she would be able to get through this. Emma also doubled down on her demands that Aiden stop drinking. Last time, she asked him to get it under control. This time, it was zero tolerance. He swore up and down that he would never drink again. And with that, the wedding planning eventually resumed. What Emma didn't realize was that Aiden was a full-blown alcoholic. He actually never really got his drinking under control like he had promised. He just got really good at hiding it from Emma. All the signs were there. It's just Emma had never been made to deal with anything like that before. So she didn't recognize it. I kind of did, or at least I strongly suspected, but I couldn't swear to it. It's just I'm the same way when it comes to prescription pain pills. Just as Aiden had been hiding his drinking from Emma all of this time, I had been doing the same thing with my pill addiction for many, many years. I felt guilty, and I'm sure Aiden did too. But once you feed your addiction, that guilt melts away. But it does come back, and usually with a vengeance. But for us... The high was worth it. Are you wondering how I managed to get my hands on those pills for eight long years? I didn't have to go far or do anything illegal. The car accident left me struggling with chronic pain for what was likely going to be the rest of my life. So it wasn't difficult to get prescriptions. And I wasn't taking them at a rate that would have raised any concerns from my doctor. If I was going through something or if I had some sort of upheaval in my life, 
If there was something stressing me out or if I was having a particularly hard time dealing with all of the scars left behind by the car accident, I would turn to my pills. The incident at Emma's birthday party was definitely a thing that caused me to go there. And being it was one of the worst things that could have happened, it was particularly bad for me this time around. I was still living with Bree, and it was extremely difficult because I was still so upset with her. I was taking pills at a rate worse than ever before. And Bree could tell that her kissing Aiden had come between her and I. And I just wasn't doing anything or making any efforts to mend any fences like perhaps she thought I would. The problem was I just didn't care. And for me, that's one of the side effects of my opiate addiction. Not caring. Bree tried really hard to hang on to our friendship. I knew it was important to her, especially considering her history when it came to women and relationships. She never really wanted or was able to have close female friends. So I was her first true close friend. For the first time, she actually cared about somebody other than herself. But if she really cared about me, she would have never done something that she knew would have hurt me this bad. She knew how much Emma and Aiden meant to me. So for her to let something like that happen, it was teetering on the edge of unforgivable. Thinking back to the time in the kitchen when Bree randomly blurted out that it was a wonder why Aiden and I never hooked up, it got me questioning myself and my own feelings towards him. Was I mad at Bree for kissing Aiden? Or was I mad that it wasn't me instead? All of those thoughts tormenting me, all it did was give me another reason to pop another pain pill. In addition to all this drama, Bree and I had become so consumed with where our friendship was going to end up that we weren't paying attention at all to the storm that was brewing within Carter. While our relationship was still a bit tenuous, Emma and I both realized that we did not want to allow Bree to ruin our lifelong friendship. It meant too much to both of us. So we made a promise to put aside all of the other junk and just focus on us. She promised to be around more for me, and I promised to have a more active role in the wedding planning and anything else that she needed me for. And one afternoon, it was so nice outside because autumn was coming. And you know, we're basic like that, so we love everything and all things fall. I was over at Emma's place helping her with her wedding invitations when Aiden randomly showed up, but there was something off about him. He kind of just stood there, blankly staring at us, like he didn't know what we were doing or who we were. Emma went right over to him, she got in his face, and immediately she knew that he was drunk. She was livid. And she had no idea that he hadn't stopped drinking. I kind of had somewhat of an inkling, but like I said, I wasn't completely sure. And I didn't want to start any problems since I didn't know 100%. Besides, I figured it would be only a matter of time before Emma finally picked up on all the red flags on her own. I mean, she did it with Bree, right? It might take just a little bit longer because she's so stupid in love with Aiden. But yeah, the time was now. She was obviously figuring it out. And she laid into him, right in front of me too, which I'm sure didn't help the situation. Emma was like, where did you go? 
Who were you drinking with? How could you do this? You promised you would stop. Who day drinks before noon? Emma was coming down on him so hard that he finally lost it. He yelled that everything always had to be her way or no way, that he was sick and tired of constantly trying to live up to her expectations of him, and it was never, ever going to be good enough for her. He stormed out of the room, but not before he kicked the table where we were sitting and stuffing invitations, and then went flying all over the floor. And then he stomped all over them as he went out of the room. For him, it was like dealing with the kinds of constant pressure that he was under his whole entire life with his family. He couldn't cope with that from them, and now he couldn't cope with it from Emma either. He had gotten into so much trouble in school, so much so that they had shipped him off to military school. And it wasn't long after he got back that he found himself in a holding cell at the police department, courtesy of his parents yet again. Aiden was damaged, and as he saw it, Emma was making it that much worse. He loved her, but he could only be pushed so far. Being with her was making him miserable, but he was out of options. If he wanted to change his family's perceptions of him, Emma was his last resort. I didn't like the way Aiden was treating Emma, and I definitely didn't like the way he acted, coming over drunk and throwing the invitations all over the ground and then stepping on them. For me, that would have been it. I would have thrown them all in the trash and canceled everything, including him. I know it's easy for me to say that when it's not happening to me, but what more of an indication do you need than him stomping on their invites that she spent countless hours designing? I got down and helped pick them up and tried to dust them off as best as I could, but so many of them were ruined. Emma broke down into tears, and I told her, You don't have to get married this fast. In fact, you really shouldn't. You don't necessarily have to cancel it, but it is less than three months away. And maybe it would be a good idea to just give it some more time. Obviously, six months isn't enough time to know for sure if this is what she wanted for the rest of her life. Just be patient. Think about it and make sure she's not making the biggest mistake of her life by marrying this guy. Bree, in the meantime, had dug her heels in. She intended to stay right there in town and she wasn't going to leave the apartment we shared. She didn't want to go anywhere. She'd already been forced out of the last city that she lived in because of scandal, and she refused to allow something like that to happen to her again. She had this attitude like, who does Emma think that she is? She's not the queen of this town. She had no say in what anybody else does, and that included her own boyfriend. Just because she's in a relationship with him doesn't mean that she's the boss of Aiden. And besides, Brie was happy with her living situation, and she was also desperately trying to hang on to our friendship. We weren't spending hardly any time together socially because of everything that had happened, and things with Carter were just getting weird. Marie had a lot of time to do some thinking, to try and figure out what she could do, particularly when it came to winning back the friendship that we had had. Bree did not like to lose, 
and she did not like anybody controlling who she could and could not be friends with. So she came up with this harebrained idea to try and get Emma to become upset with me and stop being my best friend. Her logic was that I would be so devastated and alone all over again and that she could swoop in as the ever loyal friend and save the day. Believe me, it was such a terrible plan. It made my birthday party plan seem genius. By virtue of being my roommate, Bree had much more of an insight into the things that were going on with me that I tried to keep as private as possible, including my addiction to opiate. After the birthday party, it had intensified and Bree noticed that there was something going on with me and she quickly put two and two together that I was struggling with this. I didn't realize it was that obvious, but this is the first time that I lived with anybody other than my parents. And my mom and dad probably wouldn't have really found anything too concerning because they knew that the pills were for chronic pain. They had been so grateful that I had survived the car crash that they understood. But Bree picked up on it pretty quickly. She saw my prescriptions and she could see how much I struggled with the aftermath of the birthday party. So what she was going to do was take it upon herself to try and get me some help. At least that's what she made it seem like she was trying to do. I'm not necessarily convinced that that was her primary motivation, though. But in order to do that, Bree was going to need some help. And the only person that she knew who might be able to was Aiden. She had texted him and asked if he could meet her at a restaurant a little off the beaten path because she didn't want anyone to spot them and for word to get back to Emma or to me that they'd been seen together. When they met up, Bree told him that she was really worried about me, that I was taking pain pills by the handful, that I was doctor shopping in order to get multiple prescriptions to feed what she believed to be a serious addiction. And by the way, that doctor shopping thing was not true. She had even taken one of my empty prescription bottles with her as a way of proving to him that she was telling the truth and she asked if he could try and talk to me, to confront me, to find out how serious my problem was, and to try and convince me to get help. Bree had this very misguided belief that because Emma was on the verge of dumping Aiden over his addiction to alcohol, that she would do the same thing to me because of my addiction to pills. Bree clearly had no idea how strong the bond between best friends since childhood was, and it showed. Emma and I had been through some rough patches in the last couple of months with the introduction of Brie into our lives, but it wasn't anything we weren't going to be able to work through and get past. Well, as long as Brie was eliminated from the equation. Anyway, I told you it was a terrible plan. Even if any of you thought that her heart was in the right place, then perhaps it was. You never know with Brie. She was sorely mistaken if she thought Aiden would in any way, shape, or form believe or even want to listen to anything that she had to say. In fact, the reason why he even agreed to meet with her in the first place was so he could tell her to F off. He snatched the pill bottle from her and told her to mind her own damn business, to quit sticking her nose everywhere where it didn't belong, and that the three of them, he, Emma, and me, were perfectly fine until she came along and that she had been nothing but a manipulative bitch and he was disgusted even having to sit across the table from her, that all she does is destroy everything and everybody in her path, 
that she leaves nothing but wreckage behind. Just her presence in town was ruining everybody's lives. She's nearly ruined his relationship with Emma, and he wanted her to never call or text his phone again. And he not only wanted her out of our lives, he wanted her out of the apartment that I shared with her, and he wanted her out of the town. Bree's plan blew up in her face, and it would only make matters worse. Aiden got up and left, just in time because he had caused a scene in the restaurant and the manager was on the verge of calling the police. I could have never guessed in a million years that the next person who would betray me would be Aiden. If you told me to get ready to get tossed under the bus by him, I would have told you that you were out of your mind and there's no way that he would ever do anything to hurt me, especially on purpose. But just like Bree miscalculated him, I guess I did too. He had gone over to Emma's after his meeting with Bree. I don't know what his initial plan was when he got there, or if he even had one. If he was going to tell her that he told Bree that everybody hated her and to just pack up her stuff and leave, which he figured would be more than enough to put Emma's mind at ease about what happened at the party and they could resume their relationship and wedding as planned. Or if he was genuinely concerned about my struggles with addiction and was wanting to talk to her about getting me help. What Aiden hadn't realized is that earlier that day, and even in the days leading up to all of this, Emma and I had been talking about him and the looming wedding. She decided that maybe I was right. She didn't have to call off the wedding completely, but for the time being, the wedding was off. She told him that she and I talked about it, and that I was the one who convinced her that getting married to someone that she had known for very long was a mistake. She told him that she wanted a break from their relationship. So now Aiden was under the impression that I was the reason why Emma was breaking up with him. It's not unusual for somebody with a personality like Aiden's to be incapable of taking responsibility for his own actions and the things that go wrong in his life. Throughout his life, all of his problems were always everybody else's fault. He blamed his parents. He blamed his brother, his teachers, other students. He blamed the school. Then he blamed Bree for ruining his relationship. And now he was blaming me. As if their breakup had nothing at all to do with the drinking or the fact that he made out with Bree and got caught. Yeah, none of that was his fault. It's everybody else's fault, right? Aiden had become so overwhelmed with desperation. Him telling Bree to F off in such an openly public way wasn't working. So his last resort was to try and shift the blame for everything onto me. So he was willing to sacrifice my friendship with him and my friendship with Emma in order to save himself. Yeah, when the boat is sinking, Aiden is the type of person that would not only save himself and only himself, he would shove you overboard in the process. And in his efforts to shift the blame, he lied. Everything he told Emma to save himself were all lies. He told her that she doesn't know me as well as she thinks she does, that she couldn't trust me any more than she could trust Bree. 
that ever since that they got together that I was doing everything in my power to come between them. And he said that going all the way back to when he and I first met at work that I had a thing for him, but he was the one who told me that he was only interested in being friends. He said that once he rejected me, I continued to try to be with him by becoming his friend, but all along I was in love with him. And once I introduced him to Emma, that he fell in love and wanted to marry her. And this caused me so much pain and frustration and anger that I've been trying to come between them ever since. And if that wasn't enough, Aiden took things a step further and told Emma that I had come up with this diabolical plan along with Bree's help to try and ruin their relationship. He accused both of us of conspiring together by using her birthday party to carry out my plan, and it was me all along who put Brie up to coming on to him at the party. That I knew how much Emma hated Brie, and it was a surefire way of not only ruining their engagement and their wedding, which I was determined to put a stop to, it would also cause Emma to come running to me for a shoulder to cry on, and then I would be the best friend helping her through it all. And as an added bonus, I would be able to get rid of Brie once and for all because she was nothing but problems. And deep down, I hated Brie also. And that way, they would be out of the picture and I would have Emma back to myself the way it was before. And to try and bolster his lies, he pulled the pill bottle that he had from Brie from his pocket and he told Emma that I'd been popping pills for months because I couldn't deal with my jealousy towards Emma for stealing him away from me. And even if Emma tried talking to me, she was wasting her time because I was constantly hopped up on prescription drugs and she could never trust a word that I had to say. Aiden even suggested that I had been jealous of Emma my whole entire life and those feelings only escalated after my face was scarred in the car accident. Yeah, it was a huge pack of lies. And Emma wasn't sure what to make of the story that Aiden had just spun. But her desire for things to get right between them and to see their wedding come to fruition apparently outweighed our friendship and ultimately, she sided with him. I know she loved Aiden and maybe believing that I was a terrible friend instead of him being a terrible boyfriend was easier for her to cope with. She told Aiden that she loved him and that she would go ahead and talk to me and Brie to confront us, to make it clear that she not only wanted Brie out of their lives, but she also wanted me gone as well. It was one of the worst betrayals from the last person that I had ever expected it from, because I thought Aiden was my friend, and Emma too. I don't understand how she could believe him after only knowing him for a few months and we'd been friends for more than 20 years. It shattered me. Emma and Aiden reconciled and resumed the wedding planning. One of the first things he did was reorder the wedding invitations that he ruined, and that really had Emma just over the moon, thrilled with his thoughtfulness. Yeah, real thoughtful, never mind the fact that he was the one who messed up the invitations in the first place, but whatever. He also managed to convince her that he was kicking his drinking habit for good, though I don't know if she was truly convinced or if she just willed herself into believing him. 
Emma did decide to just leave things alone for the time being instead of storming over to our house to confront Bree and me. I mean, things had become so tense that we all just kind of backed off for a while. We had to. Emma immersed herself back into her wedding, and she and Aiden had lots of making up to do, and she would just worry about it later. As the month of October rolled around, Bree and I had also patched things up and agreed to just not concern ourselves with the two of them. We figured they just deserved each other. I didn't like to be thinking like that, but I really just didn't know what else to do. And besides, both of us love this time of year. We enjoyed the fall. Halloween was coming up, and then we would be heading into the holiday season. I did secretly hope that after the new year, once the wedding was over, that Emma and I would find a way back to each other. It might take time, but I wasn't ready to fully let go of her. Not just yet, anyway. Halloween was a big deal in our little town, and Bree and I were excited about it. And the day started off on kind of a high note, at least for Bree, when the doorbell rang and she opened it to find a large porcelain vase filled with 24 red roses. The card read that they were from Carter. She was really excited to be sent flowers. It had been a long time, and she was surprised because she really hadn't seen or spoken to Carter all that much since proposal gate. I didn't like the fact though that he was sneaking up to our door like that, but she seemed really happy and I didn't say anything so I didn't want to ruin it. This Halloween was going to be our first holiday together that we were going to decorate and we both wanted to go all out. We got all the decorations and our costumes and the candy for the trick-or-treaters. We lived in one of those neighborhoods where it was pretty much a requirement to participate. I, for one, was looking forward to getting back to having some fun without any of this relationship drama. When Halloween night came, I was going to be made to eat those words. So as Bree and I were sitting out on our porch that evening passing out candy, an adult, without anything on other than a mask, walked up. I assumed it was an adult because he looked kind of bigger and bulkier than a teenage kid. And as he got closer, it was clear that he was there to see Bree. And then when he took off his mask, it was Carter. He hadn't been over to our place since the birthday party. At least, I don't think he had been there. And Bree hadn't really talked about him all that much either. The marriage proposal was a huge turnoff for her, so she wanted to try and keep her distance from him. I, for one, was grateful for that because I placed most of the blame on what ended up happening that evening on him for commandeering Bree's birthday party in the first place. He had made such a fool out of himself that I'm surprised he was even showing his face that night. Well, technically he came with a mask on, but you get what I'm saying. Bree being Bree, always loving the attention from men, was kind of amused that he showed up out of nowhere. Men were a major form of entertainment for her. And she had been laying low for more than a month by then, so yeah, when he showed up, it did bring a smile to her face. I had asked about him just about a week or so earlier, and she told me not to worry. He'd be okay. They always come around. And I was like, yeah, okay, and we kind of laughed it off because I was sure that he would never show his face around here again after what happened. I mean, how embarrassing was that when you ask somebody to marry you and... 
and not even getting a response, but instead she flees the scene. Carter didn't think it was funny at all, and he certainly wasn't there for Bree's amusement either. He was there to get her back. Carter asked Bree if she would just come with him so they could talk. What neither one of us understood at the time was just how obsessive he had become over Bree. The rejection at the birthday party sent him spiraling, and in the time since then, he had completely shut down while he tried to figure out how to get back together with her. And for Bree, Carter never really crossed her mind all that often. She did like the hookups, but that's all she liked. She had absolutely no interest in having anything more to do with him. But he just didn't seem to get it. Carter was the type of man who refused to take no for an answer. He was so arrogant and so full of himself. Women hardly ever rejected him, but whenever they did in the past, he would react violently. Remember, he has a record of arrest for various things related to stalking, harassment, and domestic violence. But he was never convicted because he managed to charm women into refusing to move forward with pressing charges. I wasn't sure why he waited a month and a half to come and see Brie, but I think he was looking for an excuse to show up at her place and maybe Halloween provided him the perfect opportunity. He figured Brie would be in a festive mood and possibly willing to talk things out with him, but <laughs> he was wrong. It didn't matter what day of the year it was, I knew Brie would not be convinced. She didn't want to be in a committed relationship with him or anybody. He was wasting his time. But he was so full of himself that he assumed that once he got her to go with him, that he could just drive around and talk to her and listen to music. If she would just hear him out, she would be with him. I couldn't help but think how stupid this guy was. She ran away to the bathroom when he proposed marriage. I think the message was loud and clear. He was just too thick-headed to get it. I was watching as the two of them got into his car. They drove a little ways up the street. He parked, and they started kissing and getting intimate. I didn't want her to go. Things had been so quiet and drama-free. I was worried that him coming around again was going to stir up problems. It was already starting to get late that night, and the trick-or-treaters were tapering off, so I went inside to clean up. But I was worried about Bree, and after about 20 minutes, I just couldn't stand it anymore, so I called her. When she answered, I told her that I was worried about her and that I wanted her to come home. If she wanted to talk to him here, fine. Even though I didn't trust Carter, I would feel better if she was here so she wasn't alone with him. She agreed to come back, and she told Carter to take her back to her place. But he refused, and he attempted to continue to try and kiss her, insisting that they needed to get back together, and that she needed to stop messing around with his head. Bree became really upset, so she pushed him off of her and got out of his car. They had gone that far, so she was going to walk home. The neighbors could hear Carter yelling at Bree, demanding that she not do this, to stop and get back into the car. But she ignored him and kept going. About an hour later, neighbors would report that they spotted a shadowy figure going around the side of our house and entering through the back door. But they didn't concern themselves with it because it was Halloween. He came into my bedroom quietly. 
he placed his hands firmly around my neck. He had a mask over his face, but I wouldn't have been able to see anyway. It was dark and only getting darker. I fought and I struggled until I couldn't. Just before my world faded to black, I could barely see out of the corner of my eye Bree standing in my doorway. For a split second, I thought she could save me, but she couldn't. My final hope was that she would be okay, that she could call 911, and someone could help me come back. No one else would come into our home that night. Our time here was over. It was the next morning that Emma decided she was finally going to come over and have that talk about what Aiden told her about being set up and lied to because of jealousy. She let herself in the house because she had a key. And as she made her way into the front room, she called out, but nobody answered. The cars were out front, so she assumed it was a late night for everybody and we were sleeping in. She took a few more steps into the house, which is when she saw Bree laying near the entrance of the hallway in a pool of her own blood. Emma ran out of the house and dialed 911. She didn't see me, so she had hoped that I was all right. She would soon find out that that wasn't the case. Nothing was okay, and... It was never going to be. Our neighbors reported having seen Carter at the house the night before. They were kind of aware that Bree was dating a man who used to be over at our place almost every day. They knew that they had encountered a problem or had some sort of falling out in their relationship when she turned down a marriage proposal. Following that, the neighbors said over the next several weeks they noticed that Carter was no longer coming around. So when he did show up on Halloween night, it stood out to them. The neighbors tended to look out for one another, especially the girls, as they referred to us, were young and we lived there on our own. And the neighbor was absolutely devastated to know that he had seen that shadowy figure in our yard and attributed it to the evening's festivities. All I can say is I hope that he knows that none of this was his fault. I wish I could tell him that. The local police were already familiar with Carter. They'd arrested him numerous times and understood him to be prone to violence towards women. When it was related to police that he had been both publicly rejected and humiliated by Bree, they knew they had an open and shut case. Carter was arrested and brought into an interrogation room at police headquarters. They drilled him for hours about everything. His violent past, his troubled relationship with Bree, the neighbors seeing him at the scene of the murders less than two hours prior to the time that they believe the killings took place, and witnesses reported having seen him sneaking into the house less than an hour after he was seen driving up the street with Bree. Witnesses also heard the two of them getting into that fight and hearing him yell at her 
to get back into the car. Carter denied having anything to do with the murders, insisting that he had gone straight home after he visited with Bree. But because he lived alone, he didn't have anyone to corroborate his alibi. And after a few hours of back and forth with the police, Carter finally stopped talking and asked for an attorney. Police were sure that they got this right, so he was booked into the county jail to await arraignment on two counts of first-degree murder. The investigation revealed exactly how we were killed. You know what happened to me. But Bree? It was brutal and it was bloody. When she tried desperately to escape the house, the killer gave chase and caught up with her. He beat her until she fell to the ground and then he picked up that porcelain vase filled with roses that Carter had left for her earlier that day and smashed it over her head. Bree never stood a chance. Among the scattered roses and shards of porcelain, police found the card that Carter had written and signed, so they knew where those flowers had come from. So this guy used the very same token of his affections that he had sent to Bree to murder her too. The forensics team not only found Carter's fingerprints on the card and on the pieces of the vase, they also discovered that in the midst of this bloody crime scene, they found blood that did not belong to either me or Bree. Police could not wait to get those results back from the lab that would confirm for them that Carter was responsible for this. But they got it wrong. Carter did not do this. Yes, he's a narcissistic jerk with a violent past. Yes, he wanted Bree but couldn't have her. Yes, he sent those roses hoping to win her affections, and it didn't work. Yes, he showed up at our house uninvited on Halloween. Yes, he tried and failed to reconcile with her less than an hour before we were dead. Yes, witnesses reported seeing him at our house and having a verbal altercation with Bree. And yes, those were his fingerprints found on the murder weapon. It should have been open and shut. But it wasn't. The case could have been a slam dunk if that DNA on that unknown blood found at the crime scene matched Carter's DNA. But it didn't. The lab was ordered to run the test two, three, four more times. He has got to be the guy. Carter had voluntarily provided a DNA sample when he was booked. This had to be a mix-up at the lab. Somebody was fucking up. But it wasn't. The DNA doesn't lie. Carter didn't do it. Whoever bludgeoned Bree suffered a cut to their hand, leaving blood evidence behind. Police knew Carter didn't have any fresh cuts anywhere on him, but they figured perhaps Bree managed to clock him and give him a bloody nose. But that wasn't the case. It wasn't him. I wouldn't have put it past him either, knowing everything that I knew about him. But the science exonerated him. The police had to let Carter go. Looking back at when they first brought him in for questioning, he really didn't seem to know why he was there. 
He thought maybe somebody had reported the verbal altercation that he had had with Bree earlier in the evening while they were in his car that night. And when they told him that Bree was dead, Carter broke down into tears. He was devastated to learn that she was gone. And it turns out his emotions were real. It didn't take long to figure out who that DNA belonged to. Our circle of friends was small. And the people who were closest to us were, of course, Emma and Aiden. Police wanted them to submit their DNA samples for testing. Emma was absolutely horrified that anyone could think that she or Aiden were capable of something like this. And she was scared, and she turned to her parents for help. They retained an attorney for her. She knew she had nothing to do with this, so she was confident that this was the way that she could clear her name as quickly as possible so police could refocus their investigation to find this murderer. Nobody wanted to kill her, roaming around among them. Both Emma and Aiden agreed to turn over their DNA samples voluntarily, and they just needed to hang tight and wait for the lab to clear them. I told you earlier in this story that I could have never believed Aiden would ever betray our friendship. But he had not a problem doing so when he sacrificed me to save himself by telling Emma that I was in love with him and that I was the one who orchestrated this whole birthday party in order to arrange for Bree to seduce him. I was so wrong about him and I found out the hard way by way of his hands wrapped tightly around my neck, squeezing the life out of me. It was only then that I realized that he was very much capable of betrayal, and then some. He knew Emma was coming over that morning to confront both Bree and I about the birthday setup, about me supposedly being in love with him, about this plot to break them up by setting him up to get caught kissing Bree, and that he used my addiction as a distraction from his own addiction to make me out to be the one that was the problem. He had already learned from experience that chances are Emma would believe me over him. When he found out that she was planning to come over to our house the morning after Halloween, he knew his only option was to silence me. Otherwise, I would expose him for the liar that he was. He had never been able to take accountability or responsibility for his transgressions, and yet he was willing to do anything to make sure that I kept my mouth shut and stayed out of their relationship for good. And in order to make that happen, he chose murder. Time was running out. Ada knew the lab results would come back at any moment and that they'd be coming for him. He contemplated skipping town, but he had no place to go. He thought about being taken down in a suicide-by-cop scenario. But he was too much of a coward for that. He wondered if Emma would run away with him. But who was he kidding? She wouldn't even allow him to have a beer, much less help him flee from justice. Aiden finally reached the conclusion that he was just going to have to tell Emma the truth that he was the one that did it. He said he was backed into a corner, that he had no choice. 
that I was ruining their lives because I couldn't stand seeing them together. That he did this for her. It was the only way that they could be together by ridding their lives of me. Aiden told Emma how his plan was to somehow force me to ingest a large quantity of pills and then strangle me in an attempt to make it look like it was a drug overdose. But I fought back, and I screamed. And when Bree appeared in my doorway, she had to die too. And he did it so they could be together, so that they could finally be happy. They were never going to be able to have that as long as I was in their lives because I refused to let him go. What a coward. Aiden was arrested and ultimately his crimes would see him locked away in prison for the remainder of his natural life. His parents moved to another state. They hadn't seen or spoken to him since they sent him away and made him a menace to us in our small town instead of dealing with his problematic behavior themselves. And they never would. They would never have anything to do with him again. As far as they were concerned, he was dead to them. But truth be told, he already was long before he made me dead. Emma, in continuing to follow her misguided love and devotion for Aiden, for some ungodly reason, she stood by her man, marrying him while he was in prison. And 38 weeks after he was arrested for murder, she gave birth to their baby girl. For whatever bizarre, twisted reason, Emma gave my name as the child's middle name. I guess she had to do what she had to do in order to try and wash her hands of all the guilt that she carried around because of all this. Perhaps I would have appreciated the sentiment if she hadn't stood by my killer. <laughs> 